Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Wish you could fish more, anywhere, anytime. Rod Geeks, a St. Croix Rod's partner, has developed a 42-inch one-piece travel rod designed and built with the same technology found in St. Croix Rods. This travel rod is offered as a kit that comes with the RG42 rod, spinning reel, fishing line, pliers, and tackle tray. All in a case with space for your wallet, phone, and fishing license. Just grab and go. Perfect to keep in your pickup, car, or RV. This shorty performs much like a longer rod, but is compact enough for easy storage and for on-the-go use. Make this the summer you fish more. RodGeeks.com Guidefitter is the industry network for professional outdoor guides and outfitters. The trusted destination for consumers seeking and sharing guided hunting and fishing experiences of a lifetime and the enterprise influencer marketing platform for outdoor brands. Guidefitter and its members represent the pulse of the guided hunting and fishing industry. Guidefitter's outdoor partners provide discounts to select types of outdoor professionals, including game wardens, members of the military, guides, outfitters, and other outdoor professionals. Over 145 brand partners and counting. Gear across many categories, including packs, footwear, clothing, flashlights, knives, optics, even firearms and ammo. For more information, go to guidefitter.com slash wardenswatch. That's wardenswatch, all one word. I'm game warden Wayne Saunders, and I'm a member of Guidefitter. This podcast is brought to you by Maine Operation Game Thief. Please join me, game warden Wayne Saunders and other game wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experience of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Welcome to episode 27, Sergeant Glenn Lucas, Snowmobile Patrol. And patrol is just not the only thing that Northern Wardens do. It is a huge aspect of a game warden's patrol is a snow machine. If you are in a northern state, a northern area where you get snow, the snow machine 
is a tool that we use to check fishermen. If there's ice fishing going on, we can you know take our snowmobiles right up there to check some fishermen. We can do surveillance from snow machines. And in some states, in a lot of states, that we are the troopers on the snowmobile. We become the snowmobile police. Not in the case for everybody, and some of us do far more than others do, depending on how it works out. Just uh, from around northern New England, I know the degree that New Hampshire does compared to Maine, compared to Vermont, compared to New York, is all relative to activity, snow, and funding. Funding is a huge thing when it comes to fishing game agencies because most, well, New Hampshire is self-funded from licenses, license sales. Others have general funds, so there are other things. But sometimes we are contracted out to do snowmobile enforcement. By statute, New Hampshire is the primary on snowmobile enforcement. Everybody can do it. Everybody but we are responsible for snow machine and OHRV enforcement off-highway recreational vehicle. You're going to hear that a lot. That's what New Hampshire calls it, um, off-highway OHRV, off-highway recreational vehicles. So I know it's a a different acronym in other places, OHV, so off-highway vehicles. That is a different way of saying OHRV. Ours are specific to recreational vehicles, and the other ones are off-highway vehicles. And snow machines are an off-highway vehicle. We changed our definition from including them with the OHRV group to including them in their own group. So snowmobiles have their own definition, basically a track, skis, um, and they ride on the snow. That is the definition of a snowmobile in the state of New Hampshire, and probably the definition of everywhere. In my years, 23 years, uh, I spent a lot of time on a snow machine, and like most northern wardens, I can leave from my house, hit the snow machine trail, and spend all day on a snowmobile. And depending activity, that's what we did. We wrote tickets because we were one of the few states that has a speed limit on our trails. Our speed limit is 45 miles an hour. We built in a cushion here and there, depending the amount of people on the trails, the conditions of the trails. You know, you ever, you've heard of that 10-mile-an-hour buffer that, you know, police give. It's very similar to fishing game. We give, depending on the activity and the condition of the trails, we give a buffer, too. We just soon be have people be well over the speed limit and really close. So that buffer, generally, on a good day, decent traffic is 60 miles an hour. Can't say that for all the time. The speed limit is 45. If you exceed that speed limit, then you are speeding. Same as the road. The speed limit's 55, you exceed that, you're speeding. Plain and simple, there's a buffer built into that to give give or take, so to speak. If there's any doubt that, you know, something could be out of calibration or something, it is usually well over, so that is taken in. And generally, I have never known a radar gun to be out of calibration that we've been using. I had one go bad on me, but it totally went dead. So I never had one that went out of calibration Using the tuning forks, uh, some of these uh, units that we've been using for 20 years were just very solid units and work well in cold temperatures as well. We also do DWIs on snowmobiles. That's another thing that we see. And we cover accidents on snowmobiles. So accident investigation, and you're going to hear this in part two, goes in depth into some of the accidents that uh, Glenn Lucas has covered. And Glenn Lucas is one of those uh, guys that really gravitated to snowmobile enforcement because he grew up snowmobiling. He grew up riding the trails. It was his family activity. So he gravitated to that. And I used his like of snowmobiles to generate a activity and programs because he put his heart and soul into it. And it's something we like. If you know, everybody, if you like something, you put your heart and soul into it. You spend a lot more time in something you like than you don't like. So use those likes and dislikes, and and as supervisors, we should be taking those guys that have particular skills in certain things and putting them in there because they're going to do a better job because they like it. That's not always the case when we put someone that doesn't like something. They don't don't like to do it, then you're not going to get good results. And just because they're in a certain position they're supposed to do that doesn't mean that you can't use some out-of-the-box thinking and put somebody in there that belongs in there to generate what you need 
for that particular task. And if you like it, let's face it, you're going to do better. It's just part of life. It's part of our makeup. So Glenn likes snowmobiles. I thought for sure after a few years of enforcing them because it is daunting. It is daunting. It's spending cold, cold days out there. It's getting called to wrecks. It's dealing with people that aren't too happy, to be honest with you, when they're stopped and get a ticket for speeding. We're one of the few states that has a speed limit. And I will tell you, the reason we have a speed limit is because we had problems. We had too many deaths related to high speeds. And that's when the legislator took action. Too many deaths, we put a speed limit on it, we give a buffer, and it seems to have not solved the problem because there is still those incidents that happen where deaths occur from the snow machine accident, but it has certainly curbed it. It has sent uh, the Cowboys maybe other places. It has definitely honed our enforcement levels, uh, and and it's done a great job. Compared to when we started with the speed limit to where it is now, it has come a long, long, long ways. So you're going to experience some of the the snowmobile patrols uh, that Glenn has done, some of the accident investigations. We've broken this into part one and part two. Two hours of podcasting with Glenn Lucas. I hope you enjoy it. The police in the woods, that's what we are. And we do snow machine patrol here in New Hampshire. Other states use their snow machines to access remote areas, to check fishermen, to do snowmobile enforcement. It's a whole different case. Every state you go to has different priorities and is funded in different ways. But the snowmobile is a tool that in the wintertime we use to achieve all those goals off trail. Thank you for listening to Warden's Watch. Please like me on Facebook, follow me on Instagram, and help me uh, spread the word. If you like what you're hearing, please let your friends know that are like minds and Enjoy this podcast, Sergeant Glenn Lucas, Snowmobiles. We got a little history together, so uh, it was always fun to work with you. And whether it's sleds or you know chasing poachers or chasing fish poachers or ATVs, you always gave me a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think I always enjoyed your, you know, positive energy. I think there's, I think that was something that always drove me to work with you is that desire to figure it out and keep moving forward and have fun at it, even if it's a terrible task. <laughs> <laughs> well, like the time I made you and Matt sleep out in a downpour. Yeah. When you like, talk about oh, terrible tasks, that was oh. probably the, one of the worst ones I ever gave to anybody. Oh. And, you know, in the end, you said, yeah, I understand why you did it, but I hate you for doing it. <laughs> you radioed up. You're like, well, boys, it's uh, it's like 9 p.m. And I'm like, he's going to tell us to stay out here. <laughs> Matt's like, no, he's not. And I'm like, yeah, you watch. And, he's, and you said, yeah, um, I mean, you got to get up early. There's no sense in hiking down and hiking up. And Matt's face is just like, you're kidding me. Uh, I think you guys should stay up there. I'm like, yep, there we go. Yep, there it is. We did. We stayed. Mm-hmm. Yep, and you were there in the morning for almost the find. And chased him down the mountain, yeah, (laughs) unreal. You were close, you were close. So, yeah, those undaunting tasks, and you always pushed me, because if if, if it didn't go your way, you'd you'd slay something like, oh, you're getting too old, you're getting too slow, or... You know, you're not up for that challenge, are you? Uh, or something it would something would spur me and we would do it together. <laughs> and there's no difference with snowmobiles. So whether it's enclosed trailers to this, you know, one of the, the, the most awesome things you did, 90%, is the snowmobile training that you do for other wardens. Mm. You did for us. You did. It, it was There was a hole there because there's so much to learn about snowmobiles. Yeah. And we weren't, we were teaching some of it, but we weren't teaching all of it. And boy, to just, to be specific and give wardens skills that wardens need in the woods with this machine, with the snowmobile is, is just priceless if you ask me. And I didn't realize how much we needed it until we got it. Yeah. And then you just filled a void with that. Yeah. I mean, that was, it was really neat because you... And I talked about me getting more involved with the OHRV training because there's specific federal. Uh, you know. And we talk about off highway recreational vehicles as OHRVs. So. Yeah, OHRVs. Snowmobiles ATVs. were included. 
at yeah. one point in time. Yeah, until they split, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In New Hampshire's definition. So we talked about me kind of stepping up into that role of helping with OHRV enforcement as far as training. And then you said, hey, we don't, we kind of had it. You identified it and you said, we need to work on this and create a snowmobile training class. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that is all me, man. And, uh, you know, you and me put together, we had this great relationship that you'd, I'd come up with an idea. <laughs> you would either foster it or say, figure that out and come back with more. Mm-hmm. Um, but we worked on an outline together and yeah. it wasn't great. It was needed some work. And I had some, I'm going to call them juvenile ideas at the time. And, and you're like, yeah, we're not teaching people to ride on one ski. We're teaching people how to be game wardens on mm-hmm. sleds. And, um, you know, over the first years, one through four, we trained all, every warden in New Hampshire in our class, and it got better and better. And, and now we train New England. Yeah, to the point where the colonel was identifying wardens in their training critique. Uh, that guy hasn't done the snowmobile training mm-hmm. yet. He needs to do it. Yep. Whether you were a lieutenant, <laughs> yeah. you were a captain. Yep. I don't think the colonel ever took it, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't <laughs> think I'm not going to look at his training uh, records. No, no, I don't think we can. <laughs> no. So, but you know that 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 was that was that was really good, and yeah, like you said, the first ones were kind of choppy, mm-hmm. and we we honed it. And you every time you take it back, okay, what can we do better? What can we do this? And uh, you know, my big thing, of course, was I, I remember trying to think of if we ever get in a gunfight mm. on a snowmobile what can we use and i always remember the track i'm like can we shoot it is a track mm. what kind of what kind of barricade is a track so we tested that yeah yeah it was awesome i mean you know the whole idea between cover and concealment you mm-hmm. know what is you know a cruiser we always talk about the engine block or the firewall or the rims and tires you know what do you have in a snowmobile well when the snowmobile's sitting upright you don't have much the, mm-hmm. the suspension is all is really all horizontal cover um, and even the aluminum tunnel isn't that great for cover, but you put a snowmobile on the side and, and you came up with ideas. Hey, that track, once that horizontal becomes vertical, then you got double coverage and a lot. So yeah, two layers of, of rubber with fiberglass rods and steel and, mm. you know, um, there was a lot going on there. So we got a track from a local uh, sled shop and we tested it out and lo and behold, it stops. I think 95% of bullets, the track yeah. alone, not even having components in between. Right. So it really opened our eyes. We're like, this is this is good. Mm. Um, even so the two two three rounds were... Weren't going through. Yeah. Yep, really good. Yeah. So... I mean, doesn't get much better. No. And to me, it's an eye-opener. You know, we, as a trainers, we're like, oh my gosh, this is great. And then to put it in the in the training curriculum and show wardens that, hey, there's a... There's a, there's a um, you know, way to get the snowmobile on a side safely, quickly, and efficiently. We'll teach you that, and then look what it does for you. It gives you great cover and concealment. And now we get to do live fire scenarios where there's a mock chase. You know, it ends with in a you know a, a controlled environment with firearms instructors and safety and all that. And they get to fire their their pistol into this track, and we have a helmet set up and. People are just amazed. The wardens are like, wow, this is so worth learning this skill of how to get it on its side because that's the cover and concealment gets me. Right. So it's really cool. And what brought me to that was, you know, the people I don't think understand what crimes get committed on snowmobiles. Remember the bank robbery in the oh. New Hampton? Was it New Hampton? New Hampton, yeah. Yeah. We had Probably an actual. Bank a snowmobile. Yeah. Drove up to the <laughs> bank in snowmobile garb, mm-hmm. walks in, snowmobile helmet, holds up the bank. Yeah. Gets on a snowmobile and goes. Crazy. And, yeah. And and that's what, that was one of the examples you brought to to me when we were, you know, creating the curriculum. Hey, we respond to serious stuff in a snowmobile. Mm-hmm. We're in a snowmobile. I mean, think Chris Egan in Pittsburgh. His cruiser mileage almost goes to zero from January <laughs> to March. Because he lives on it. Lives on a snowmobile. He yep. wakes up in the morning, patrols on a snowmobile. He can respond to almost all his calls for service on a snowmobile. Mm-hmm. Well, he needs, and he is, you know, he's been doing it much longer than me is, he he does very well in a snowmobile, mm-hmm. and but you got to have those skills in order to, you know, feel safe in what you're doing. And I've responded to a domestic violence call in a snowmobile when I was in down to District Two. I had the earbud in my my helmet, heard the domestic violence call come in. I said, "I'm a mile away," zipped across the lake, jumped into the into the uh, neighborhood, and sure enough, here I was in the front yard, second on scene, responding to domestic violence on my snowmobile. Yeah, yeah okay. uh, that police officer was kind of uh, surprised, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Never yeah. had backup like that before. Nope, blue lights in the snowmobile, here I am. Right. And you know, early on in my career, we used to have a lot of stolen snowmobiles on the border. 
we, we'd have you know guys who'd steal them in the states and drive them across the border and they'd be gone Crazy. that was i wouldn't say it was it was almost common a couple times a year that we'd get those mm-hmm. and you know the border crossing with bringing illegal drugs in through we've had some issues with snowmobiles i remember uh, one of the border checks the customs guys something started burning in the snowmobile and it happened to be the marijuana that they packed underneath Unreal. the cow and to my best recollection, and I, I think it turned into a shootout where the guy retreated back across the border and there was gunfire exchange between the two of them. Scary. Yeah. So it's, you know, it, it's, it's a really, it's a reality, especially with our northern border because we get a lot of snow, whether you're in your Washington state or whether you're in Maine or New Hampshire, that, that, that's a reality to us. So, and, and like you said, Chris Egan lives on a snowmobile in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think... You know, one thing that we really stressed is is not just the riding. From my point of view is, in order to become better at what you do, you really have to know how things work. Pulled in Kevin Whiting, who's a certified mechanic, mm. and the class starts with the very basics of understanding why your snowmobile does something. So then if something goes wrong, or it smells different, or it feels different, you can identify that. And you, the reasons, you, if you know why your sled does something, you know its capabilities and its limits. And I think that starting off with that and then basic riding skills, and we can kind of separate advanced riders with, with novice riders. And, you know, we really try to cater to the officers' capabilities and, and push them just beyond the limit, but still keeping them in the safe zone of, uh, you know, learning new skills. And, and those parts wear, and it's so important to understand what to identify when it wears and how it wears. Yeah, and, and it's tough because a snowmobile, a lot of it's underneath. The most important part are skegs and, and studs, really. Mm-hmm. You don't see them. If you don't know to tip up your snowmobile and look, that's a wear item, and it's it's like tires, but everybody sees tires because the top mm-hmm. is eventually the bottom. In a snowmobile, the ski is, stays on the ground, and you right. don't see it. So you have to know how to maintain these things so they can perform at the highest level because it's your life. You know? Right. It's got to turn. And Warden set up there. Let's talk about setting up a snowmobile because, again, you taught me that. I, when it came out of the box, I just wrote it as is, and you taught yeah. me how to set that up. You know, even for somebody that's not a game warden, to set up your snowmobile, according to you, is so important, too. Yeah, so important. And people in general don't usually read the owner's manual. A lot of friends, it goes. Friends oh, wait a second. I read all the manuals. No, yeah. you don't. <laughs> <laughs> Someone like my brother in law does, but we don't. Um, <laughs> snowmobile is so specific it's not like a car you get in it you adjust the seat well why do you adjust the seat you adjust the seat because you need to reach everything uh, safely and quickly and the comfort well it's the same exact thing with a snowmobile you have to adjust it suspension springs handlebar position seat position windshields all that stuff is really important Mm -hmm. and if you don't know how to do it it's not going to perform at its highest level and or it could perform in the total opposite very unsafe for your weight or your or your height or whatever right and a lot of likes down pressure on the skis you know as wardens we like a lot of down pressure on our skis because we like it responsive on the corners yeah and and it's uh, more of a workout but we're supposed to be in good shape so a little bit of harder steering trade-off is really good control um so that's important to us um, we ride in the worst conditions. Sometimes it's really deep snow. We're patrolling off trail for looking for trappers, or we're running on an icy lake checking ice fishermen for a whole day. Well, you know when it's really icy, you got to lower your suspension for the day. You get you give up a little performance, but your machine's not going to overheat. So there's a lot of those things we try to discuss and and cover in the class to cater to each and everything we do in a snowmobile when it comes to being a warden. And a lot of wardens bring a lot of different snowmobiles to the class, right? Yeah. So we have. And we've had 550 fans come through that are, you know, a, a Tundra type, which is just a, more of a trapper's backcountry sled. And then we've had, uh, you know, 1,000 Mach Zs come through for the Border Patrol. And that was caught in a drug bust that got turned, you know, mm-hmm. confiscated. But, um, you know, it's a very specific trail sled. So they, they have different capabilities, and we can cater to that because we have Eric Fluette, who's a backcountry rider, travels, you know, Midwest and, and snowmobiles off trail. He's, he's my off trail That would guy. be out west, not Midwest. That's flat. Midwest. Midwest, Midwest is flat. You See, said Midwest. Did I say Midwest? You did. So. That, where's the Mason-Dixon line? Oh, boy. Yeah, he goes way past that. <laughs> way past that. He's Colorado, yeah, Montana. I stay in New England. Yeah, New England no, he, he, he's out there. So, so yeah. he goes to the West. But yeah, he's, he's he's definitely the off-trail guy, and he can cater to that. 
Um, but even an on-trail sled does have capabilities off-trail. You just have to. I've seen you do a lot with an on-trail <laughs> sled that I wouldn't dare do off-trail. You, know, yeah. you, you sometimes tease me because I think you're going to get me caught or <laughs> used to want to get me caught. <laughs> i got a few pictures of you stuck, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> just a few. Yeah, just a few. <laughs> you know, but, no, the class is, is really fun to teach because um, – uh, and I've learned stuff from people that have showed up to the class, and that's what I think is really important. It's not a, it's not a death by PowerPoint. We don't show mm. up and sit in a classroom. It is hands-on, talking about it, open dialogue. What do you think? Ask questions. It's a, it's a place where you can feel comfortable and say, well, I've never known that. But also I've had guys say, hey, I learned this trick. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's great. I never learned. And now I teach that in my class. So right. To me, when wardens get together, it's it's a great, great environment because we're not afraid to – Talk back and forth. Ideas mm-hmm. don't like that. Well, that, I don't think that'll work for me. Can you show me another way? Yeah, sure. Right. Or driving deep powder, if we have that ability during that time frame, is, is a pretty cool thing to have. That's certainly using your your uh, ski as a rudder, so to yeah. speak. That was that was different. I, I you know yep. trying to do that. I was not uh, the best at that either. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a neat idea. Is the whole you know when you turn left uh, in deep snow. As far as steer left, you actually turn the handlebars right, and that that keel of the ski on the left side that's digging into the snow acts just like a paddle in a canoe. And mm-hmm. Every warden should know how to run a paddle on a canoe. Right. You know that whole J stroke; it's acting like a drag, so it's pulling you left, even though you have your handlebars turned right. And it's a weird thing to kind of understand, but when you can balance your throttle and your ski position, and you're like, "Wow, that works really good," then you then you can start building on that and becoming an even better rider. And the snowmobile trend, building them is going off trail, deep powder, that type of stuff. Yeah, it's big business now. Um, the cool thing used to be the Mach Zs and SRXs with triple pipes and the, go the 100. fast, fast oh, sleds, XLTs. Yeah, that that was cool, fast and hard, two hundred miles a day. How many mm-hmm. miles could you do? Now it's how big can your paddle be on the snowmobile track, which is your profile. You know the big lugs, the dig in to to pull snow yep. up so you can get some yeah some you know. grip. How loud can they be now is the big thing. I got behind a mountain sled oh. just the other day, and the furrow it left in the trail after oh. it was perfectly groomed. Yep. I'm following this furrow down <laughs> through, and I'm like, yeah, I just yeah. The, the 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 world has changed since when I started, you know, back yeah. in '95, and I think I saw the heyday of snowmobiles, and you were oh, growing yeah, you up did. in the area, and yeah. let's go back to the beginnings of snowmobiles for you, because uh, you know, this has been a lifelong uh, thing for you. Yeah, yeah, I mean. Snowmobiling to me, I grew up in the Lakes region, and in the 80s, we used to have real winters down there, Mm -hmm. (laughs) 80s and 90s, Um, you know, and it was a family event. Families, my, all my uncle, I got a huge family, I got 36 first cousins, 20-something aunts and uncles. Um, They would all come up, or most of them, and snowmobile. It would be a, you know, bonfire in the front yard, kids riding around how to learn, the uncles would go off for a ride. It was, it was a big family event, but it was it was more than just riding a smoky snowmobile. It was being with family and having fun with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, smoky the, snowmobile. That's yeah. just because it, the, those are gone. Yeah, because we were adding oil into it, and it would. Uh, oh. uh, you know, the days of me getting done and that smell and mm-hmm. the noise and the brat 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 <laughs> all day long. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal: develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Yep. Um, that that was the beginning of snowmobiles in the 90s and the, yeah. the, the heyday i think late 90s early 2000s was yep. we saw some of the highest registrations here in new hampshire i'm not sure what the stats were nationwide but there was a lot of snowmobiles being sold oh yeah and that and and that's you know uncles would come up and we'd we'd snowmobile from the yard i started uh on an old polaris you know my uncle would teach me how to ride it and i remember he just jumped off the back one time and there i was riding alone and Thought it was just the coolest thing, you know. It's, you're allowed to drive when you're How a little kid. How old were you, Glenn? Uh, probably riding. I'm going to take a guess of like five or six. Yeah, is my guess. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it was it was really important to me because you want to be like your uncles. You know, they're the big brothers. I never had a brother, and my sister never cared much about snowmobiling. She was a bookworm. Uh, still is. She's still smarter than me. <laughs> um, 
But uh, you know, that was the thing. It was it was just wanting to to be with you know the bigger guys. And you're doing that with your kids too, aren't you? Oh yeah, yeah. It's the best thing ever. I'm, yeah, I'm that guy. That yeah, bought two little snowmobiles for my kids before they could even walk. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. Which is when when to hear you talking about your uncles jumping off the back of the snowmobile. I'm like, he's doing the same thing. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's really cool. But uh, you know, I remember not off topic too much, but my uncle saying to me, don't live your life through your kids. Give them the opportunity to snowmobile if they want a snowmobile and they'll tell you. They'll right. know it. So I'm the, I don't push it, but mm-hmm. I have every opportunity for them to, you know, same with sports, but snowmobiling yeah. is, is really important to me as far as family and friends. And uh, so far they both love it. So I'm, I'm um, lucky. Well, it's in the genes, isn't <laughs> That's it? That's right. That's right. Um, you know, I just remember, uh, you got a funny story about your mother, don't you? Uh, she, she likes to drive a little fast, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. So uh, that kind of starts the, the the first part of that is where we used to snowmobile all the time when I was a kid. Probably in middle school, we my parents were able to travel a little bit to snowmobile, you know, adventure mm-hmm. out for away from home. And we came to Nash Stream, which is the biggest state forest in New Hampshire. Um, and it's now my patrol, which is really cool. But yeah. so in the nineties, we would come to Nash stream, wake up real early. A friend had a camp on the state forest land. Um, we'd unload and, and ride all weekend, ride all day and then go home. So, you know, we were the travelers. Um, so fast forward 20 years later, I guess, well, 15 years later, you know, got hired, um, spent a little time in a different patrol and then had the opportunity to move up here. And, uh, I remember looking at the map and, then Lieutenant Doug Rolinsky's like, oh, I'd really like you to take the barrel of patrol. And I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Lieutenant, I can see that the Lancaster patrol's open. Well, we don't really need anybody over there. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's, if you want me in District 1, that's where I want to be. Okay, mm-hmm. all right. And I just, I remember telling my parents, Mom, I'm going to patrol Nash Street where we rode for years. You yeah. know, like fish there, hunted there, snowmobile there. It was just awesome. Mm-hmm. So... So, yeah, to, to start the story of my mother, I get assigned and uh, work with you that day. You, your big thing was get out early, catch them when they unlined <laughs> for the parking lot. Then your MO was to go find lunch somewhere for a couple hours, which was good, Yeah, and then go back in the afternoon. So that morning, we set up in your favorite spot, and uh, you're like, all right, get ready. You had the radar gun, and I'm the new chase guy, hot to trot. Here comes a sled, nice and slow. And I'm like, ah, oh, sled looks familiar. 40 miles an hour speed limit New Hampshire is 45 give you guys a little bit of leeway so here comes a snowmobile I'm thinking that's familiar here and you're like oh we got a hot one in the second second comes around snow goes into the corner out of the corner into the trees (laughs) the speed's picking up and I'm like here we go I get to show my my sergeant you were sergeant time how good I can ride and you're like 55 56 and usually depending on traffic we ride at 60 and Mm -hmm. up and I think that snowmobile got up to like 59 maybe. Mm-hmm. And as the first sled passed and the second one came into focus, I'm like, oh, crap, that's my mom. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, my mom went by at 59, and my dad was doing like 40-something, of course. And dad was going so slow that he stopped in front of us. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. And my mom zipped by. <laughs> And I remember thinking, oh, good God. So dad's yucking it up with us. We're sitting there, what, 10 minutes? Yeah. My mom don't come back. I'm like, uh, what happened? Finally, she comes back. She's like, oh, hi, boys. <laughs> like, well, sergeant, this is my mother. Mom, this is my sergeant. Mm. She's like, am I getting a ticket? I'm like, no, thank God, yep. no. She was close. Oh, uh, she was close, yeah. yeah. So didn't hit the threshold that day. No. But certainly drives a lot fra- faster than your father does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no doubt. That's a kind of an unusual thing, too. Most moms would be, my wife would be hanging back a lot further than uh, I would. Yeah, so. and the, the great part is, is it reminded me of all the times where dad would work a lot, you know, and sometimes mm-hmm. weekends to make some extra money and mom would be like, ah, oh, let's go snowmobiling just you and me. And I'm like, heck yeah. Cause that means we snowmobile about 15 miles faster than I would with dad <laughs> <laughs> miles an hour faster. So snowmobile mom was always a little faster, which was cool. Yeah. No, no, no kid. doubt. No doubt. And I always like that, uh, that story you tell about, and I, I got to bring it up. I got to bring you back to, to down river road and Bridgewater and getting on your sled and the lawn and stuff like that because yeah. that's it's one of my favorite things to tell me that you were you were born to snowmobile because it was your goal. Well, you might as well tell the story. Yeah, so well, um, I think it was when I let's see, it was probably it was probably like ten. I had uh, had saved up some money and Dad purchased half and I purchased the other half of a little Yamaha snowmobile and 
Great every, lesson. Every new snowmobile, I mean, every new snowstorm, I would take out my snowmobile and ride around the, my yard. My parents had about an acre of field. And the goal was to pack down every square inch of snow so that it was flat and I could prove that I rode everywhere in the yard. And uh, I did it. <laughs> that was a goal that I had. And it was a good goal as a 10-year-old. Yeah. No, it's just, no, I love that story that I can just, I can see you doing that because I know you. Yep. I know you so well. And I can see Glenn at 10 years old saying, I, I can hardly wait to get home. We just got snow and I got to pack everything down again and do wait it. for the next snowstorm to do it again because yep. you were kind of like that as a you know as a <laughs> fresh dog can i get out there and get a fresh snow and get out there and ride and yep. uh, you were definitely so but the snowball building as a warden i mean it certainly changes your perspective from going from a recreator as a snowmobiler to be honest with you i thought you'd lose your love for it yeah i, I kept haven't. i kept expecting it every year because it, it it certainly i remember my first year up i bought a snowmobile yep yeah, and I sold it within two years <laughs> after, and yeah, that's the last thing I wanted to do on my days off because, like yeah. Chris Egan, we lived on snowmobiles, and some you know the the funding part of it is a, is a major reason why we do that. That's definitely so, and you know, in New Hampshire, a lot of our money comes from OHRBs, Off Highway Recreation, and we're responsible for that. We're not the primary, right? As much as I preach that, we're not the primary, yeah. but we are in charge of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are the primary. I take that back. We, yeah, are, the we primary, are the primary, but everybody can everybody enforce can it. So, but we are the primary. We are the responsible agency. So, and that's the reason why we spend so much time and so much effort into it because it's a money source for us. Yeah, and and I think you know I got a lot of grief over the years, my earlier years for being the snowmobile guy, and mm-hmm. you won't like it for long, just like you said. And um, you know, I I definitely have changed a little bit on the job as far as um, dealing with snowmobilers. I, I, it may sound wrong or bad, but I definitely do not like the, it's not really a sport. I don't like the, uh, the riding aspect any less. I could, I could ride a thousand miles tomorrow and enjoy every mile. Um, what wears on you a little bit is the attitude of people. I think that's, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, this is the line I use amongst wardens is usually, you know, I don't dislike the sport. I start to just dislike the people sometimes. And it, and it's, I'm not blanketing everybody, of course, no. but it's the people that have the attitude and think they're privileged and they just don't learn. And, you know, that, that starts to wear on you a little bit. Um, I think that what has carried me through a lot of hard times or aggravation with people or places or things is, is just, it is what it is, positive and move on. You know, you can be frustrated for a day or two, but... You know, in the end, and I think that's, I probably, I think learned some of that for you from the police side is just, hey man, another day, let's do it, forget about that guy. Right. The next people can be amazing people that, yeah, maybe sped a little, but they're hilarious. They're great to talk with, you know, mm-hmm. so um, it's it's the people that wear on you a little bit, but I I still love to ride. Yeah, no, no, that's that's certainly apparent. A, a mm. so, but getting back into that that. It changed into coming. Well, let's let's start when your first patrol was kind of a snowmobile patrol when you weren't in District One. Yeah. So you were assigned to District Two on the the main border there for a little bit, huh? Yeah. I and get, they get snow there. They get snow there, and yeah. this is a common story that comes up every once in a while. Yeah, and you had some excitement there. <laughs> yeah. So I was young. Uh, I new got, warden. Very new, new. Very new. I got hired at 21 years old, right out of college. Um, I'm assuming that there was. Uh, a shortness of applications during that time period. So <laughs> they were like, they were like ah, I guess we'll give this kid a try. He's awful young. Someone must have liked you on that oral board yeah. or something. So thank God, <laughs> thank God, Lieutenant Wayne Saunders, <laughs> then Sergeant. Were you? You weren't even Sergeant then. You were not Sergeant when I got hired. No, you're right. Yep, you were just Wayne Saunders. Just Wayne. Just Wayne. Co. You've never can't, been can't, just can't Wayne. Can't keep my mouth shut, Wayne <laughs> Saunders. <laughs> uh, you've never been just Wayne. Um, but yeah, so I, I got assigned after my full trainee year. Uh, so 2008, after my year, I got assigned to Wakefield Patrol just above Rochester, New Hampshire, on the main border. A uh, lot, of, lot of lakes. It was a good area uh, to learn. Plenty of hunting activity, plenty of fishing. And, and when there's snow, which there is, it's pretty good snowmobiling. Mm-hmm. So being a border, t- uh, border patrol, you could legally drive into Maine and in this specific day, it was a Saturday or Sunday, I was working uh, a pond that is split right in the middle by the state line. So where I came in from Maine, I had to walk from Maine into New Hampshire on the pond and check fishermen. Um, being young and, 
excited to get after it. I get out there in the afternoon, walking across, check some fishermen. Here's this open water. And I hear the snowmobile come with a loud exhaust. And I mean, we stand in green monkey suits. You, you know who we are from a long mm-hmm. distance. And I, I can't exactly hide in the middle of a white lake. So I'm standing there and I'm looking at him. And I'm thinking, he's going to skim, which means go as fast as you can across open water where your track is continues to push the water and you go right across like a boat. You just can't slow down. Otherwise, you sink like a rock. So sure enough, here he comes, loud, skims the water. I bet he's 100 feet from me. He did it to taunt me because I'm on foot, and that mm-hmm. makes me mad. So, of course, what do I do? I pretend to chase him on foot, which does nothing. I don't even, you know, like, I think about it. I didn't, I didn't even know you did that. Oh, it's embarrassing, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was, I'm thinking, I'll, I'll stop him with my hand up like an mm-hmm. idiot. So uh, I don't even think he waved back with one finger. He just kept on the throttle. Mm-hmm. And he thought that was great, and it made me more mad. So I went back to my cruiser, and I remembered the sled. Black Mock Z with the yellow Z on it, triple pipe. I mean, I can, I can see it today. Wow. Oh, yeah. It's really burned in your memory. Oh, yeah. So, you know, as I'm walking back, I'm thinking, that was really stupid. I should have just done nothing and let him, you know? Mm-hmm. That's what I would do nowadays. Like you would do now, yeah. yes. You know, just make a mental note and catch him another day. Mm-hmm. Now, I get back to my cruiser, and I'm, I'm still in Maine, which plays a part in the story. And now in my cruiser driving down this road, and I'm, I'm watching the lake. And I don't see him anymore. And I can't hear him. I got my window down. And I get to a junction. And I'm probably maybe a mile from the New Hampshire border, headed back towards New Hampshire, still stewing. And here comes the sled down the road. I don't even think I just react, which, which is good in police work as long as it's backed by experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At that moment, I had very limited experience, but I had plenty of reaction, <laughs> motivation. <laughs> so here comes the sled, and I'm like, okay. In, you know, I'm thinking from the academy days. Don't you can't pinch him, you can't roadblock him, you can't hit him, even though you want to do that, you can't. Mm-hmm. So I think, okay, I'm just going to persuade him to pull over. So I don't do a roadblock. I give him an exit, but I pull my cruiser in the middle of the road. You know, choice to go either side of me, and here he comes, and he is slowing down. And I'm thinking, I got him. I don't even think I'm in Maine because I'm not thinking. Here he comes. I open my door, and he cracks the throttle. He's coming to my left side of the cruiser. He lays on the throttle, my eyes get big, and I go to get back in the cruiser, and he slaps my door. Boom! Goes up in the snowbank and takes off. And then it hit me, quite, quite literally. I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> he just hit me in Maine. I'm not a Maine warden. I have no jurisdiction here for snowmobiles. This is bad, very bad. Uh, so I called my supervisor, and I didn't even think to look at the door. I thought it was bad. I call my supervisor, who will leave out his name, and he told me to call the colonel. And I'm like, "Well, it's been a great year, Glenn. What a great, what a great career I had. One year on the job, they took a chance and they lost. So I call. I think it was a Sunday because I remember calling the colonel. He lived not far from my patrol, and I think he did not call me Skippy that day. I think he probably had another word for me or another name. Mm-hmm. But well, you need to call the Maine State Police. I'm like, oh God. So I did. And anyways, the report got filed, and I went back to New Hampshire with my tail between my legs and learned a good lesson. But the lesson learned. The greatest part is the next day I called. Now the late Brian Abrams was a huge role model for me in my early days. <laughs> and he had this, just the way about him with the voice. You remember the voice. Man. Oh, they'll never oh, forget it. That's not a good program. Right. <laughs> he, he was great. God bless him. I called him and told him the story, and he's like, well, how bad's the dent? I, I said, I, you know, I haven't looked at it. So I get out and I'm like, oh, Brian, it's actually just a little scratch. Ah, oh, geez, you shouldn't have called anybody. You should have buffed it out. I would have helped you. And I remember thinking, for, oh, maybe I will do that next time. I'm like, <laughs> uh, no, it's not the 70s anymore. So, <laughs> so yeah, I get my chops busted quite often for being a Maine warden and not a New Hampshire warden. Mm-hmm. Uh, understandable. That was a long time Be, ago. Living on the border, sometimes that <laughs> stuff happens. I won't tell you how many times I've seen Maine wardens in New Hampshire. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and making stops. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, apparently New Hampshire people stop for Maine, but that guy didn't stop for me. Yeah, well, I think one guy had his tires that were bl- just kind of went on the end. So that, that's a Norm Lewis story that maybe if we ever do another podcast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That was, I, I still think of that. Yeah, so young. Yeah, that's that wasn't that was one of your first snowmobile experiences, but certainly not your last because soon thereafter you got transferred to the north. Yeah, 
yeah, thankfully then the he, snowmobile, snowmobile, snowmobile. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a good choice for me. Uh, you know, District Two um, is a great place, but it just didn't fit for me um, as far as location near family and and the stuff that I wanted to do. So had the opportunity to move to District One and took the Lancaster Patrol in oh nine two thousand nine. Bought my house in oh nine. Wow. Yep. He tried to set me up in a trailer, remember? I got a house for you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yep, I'm not living there, Wayne. <laughs> it must have been reasonable. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, and you was probably free. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so that, that, that certainly wasn't your, your, your last pursuit that you had. And, and sometimes I, I was involved with a, a few of them. Yeah. So the, the, the Bag Hill one sits in my oh. mind because it was there you were a second and there you were gone. And it was just, uh, yeah. yeah that, that, was, was, uh, that was fun. That was Snowdio, and I'm not going to remember the year. Snowdio is a big uh, snowmobile festival, per se, where the new models come out and it draws a lot of people in, in attention. And I'm trying to remember the year. It might have been... It was 2016, I think, because I was on the first year. That, that sounds right. Right. So 2016, Wayne and I worked all day long. Probably, if I was with Wayne, we took a long lunch break somewhere warm. And, yeah, uh, Snowdia was hard. Oh, yeah. Hard, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not hard to find a free lunch. Not, not far to find a free lunch, no. <laughs> um, so we were snowmobiling. We started from Nash Stream, our favorite spot, snowmobiled all the way north, and we were on our way back late. And I think I convinced you to ride to Groveton, which would have been past our destination to load up and go home. And I said, Wayne, we got a little money over time. Let's yep. go into Groveton. Let's fly the flag. Fly the flag. Yeah, well, we flew the flag. Yeah, let our presence be known. So here we are going down a, a legal plowed logging road, which is part of the trail. And uh, this loud exhaust goes by us. <clears throat> I don't remember if I was first or second, but I turned around. And we I think we stopped for a few seconds, you know, enough mm-hmm. to say, I said, Wayne, that was a loud exhaust. And you're like, well, go get him. Yep. So, and a vehicle had just passed us, remember? So the vehicle passes us up the road, and then we see the sled. So by the time I turn around, I'm not pursuing the snowmobile yet. I'm trying to initiate the stop. Turn on my blue lights. The group, I think, was three sleds, and the loud one was first. I passed the first two, and now I'm behind the loud sled. He sees me, turns around. We're probably going 10, 15 miles an hour up a logging road. Turns around. Big guy, I can. I remember the. He had a Red Bull helmet on, the Snowcross helmet with goggles, black and yellow Skidoo jack. I remember it. And uh, he takes off. The chase is on, and I'm thinking, okay, buddy, this is it. It's you know what seven, eight, nine at night. It's late. Mm, it's yeah, late on a it is Saturday, late. and uh, we're going up the logging road, which is only one vehicle wide. And here comes. We're coming up on the truck. The truck is going the same direction to us. And I'm like, I remember thinking, perfect. He's going to call it quits. The chase is over. Oh, no. He sends it left up over the snowbank, passes the truck, so I follow him. Mm. Fast. We're, we're going pretty good. Safe because there's limited traffic. There was no one else snowmobiling in the area. When we came in, um, and, and the chase was on by a camp through the woods. Thank God. And this is what saved me is I grew up riding Nash Stream, and all I could think of is that as the chase continued to increase in speed, but not increase in risk because I literally we pass nobody else, you mm-hmm. know, and that's that's the big thing that's important to me, especially now as a supervisor, is mm-hmm. is is calculating that risk. You know, what is the reward and return of initially stopping someone for a violation level offense, mm-hmm. raised to a misdemeanor because he you know is running and disobeying. But at that night, I remember I wasn't a sergeant then, so I was uh, changes, doesn't it? Yeah, it changes <laughs> a little. Um, but I remember thinking. I can stick with this kid. And he was a good rider. He was mm-hmm. on a model different than mine, a little older, but he, he could ride. And I remember thinking it as I'm pushing to the limit, this is going to be a hard one. Uh, but we never passed another group of snowmobilers at all, so I continued to push. We get into Nash Stream. I got next to him. Slowed down a little bit. We're enough where I could get my hands on him while still snowmobiling next to him. We were on the straight stretch we call West Side. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, I got him. Here comes a straight stretch. I get up next to him. I grab his arm. I'm still on the throttle. I grab his arm. I'm trying to yank him off or slowing down to probably 10 miles an hour. I almost got him, and he yanks back and grabs another handful, and I lose him for, you know, he takes off. I'm like, oh. Then he hits the brakes, and then we go back the other way, same way we came. No problem. I know this trail. He then heads through the old parking lot towards, um, Northside Road, if you remember. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, 
uh, the road's coming and I know it and this kid is ripping. So I start slowing down and he launches off this snowbank, <laughs> clears the road towards the apple trees, um, blue house. Yeah. And I remember thinking, I got him. He's going to crash in nice deep snow. He's not going to get hurt. Wayne's going to be proud of me. That's chase is over. Oh no. He keeps going. Now he comes back out into the road and we go miles down this plowed road. That's not legal to be on at a high rate of speed. Again, never passed a vehicle, which was in my favor. Cause I didn't, I hate to lose. Mm-hmm. I totally hate to lose. Um, so eventually down this, this plowed road, he ends up crashing into me kind of bumps me to get me some space and he i hold my ground because i steer not into him but steer i see it coming and he launches up over the snowbank and goes off on foot i've had i I don't know that i've ever had so much adrenaline in my life i mean (laughs) at the after to bounce forward it was a 15 mile chase Mm. at a high rate of speed with low risk medium risk yep um so now I remember, as I was chasing, I remember thinking, Wayne has no idea. What, I can't get out on the radio because I can't focus on anything else but this trail and him. And uh, I just remember thinking, I need help. This kid's on foot. I don't know if he's got, I don't know who he is. Does he have a gun? Is he a felon? Is he going? I don't know. So I get on the radio. I'm yelling for help. And I remember all you were like, where are you? Where are you? And the mm-hmm. radio's for decent. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. And I told you where I was. And, uh, right. Did I? Yeah. And then yeah. he was off on foot, off on foot. And then, uh, I think I lost communication with you cause I, cause just, you were on foot. I decided to go on foot. Yeah. There was no one around. And I said, I'm not losing this kid. I got a lot invested in this as yeah. far as, um, you know, time and effort. So I start chasing on foot gets to the upper Damanusic river, which is a flowing river. I'm not saying it's iron will flowing where, mm-hmm. but it's, uh, it's moving. And I make another decision. I look at it. It's frozen. He crossed it. You're tracking him now. Oh, yeah. I'm in the woods and I'm tracking it. Thankfully, it was in a wooded area where I don't have to deal with other foot traffic, but mm-hmm. I'm tracking him. So I decided to cross the river. We did. I did have a float coat on, which is good, but moving rivers don't help you much when you go through. No. No. Uh, oh, and also, mind you, I, I think I had a six-month-old kid at the time, and I remember thinking that as I was chasing him, that I need to think differently. But uh, So I crossed the river, so I didn't think that much differently, but... Cross the river, and then the kid gets into a horse pasture, and I lose the tracks. I'm in this horse pasture looking around. I know the guy, and I'm looking, and I'm looking, and I'm getting mad, and uh, it hits me. Stop wasting your time inside the, the horse pasture. He isn't in here. Go to the outside right. and find his exit. And that's about the time I think I called for the fire department to get the, the infrared cameras out. Yep. Infrared came out. Troopers come. Locals come. Yep. It's the best feeling in the world when you're – you know, think you're starting to lose a, a fight, a battle, even mm-hmm. a proverbial one, and and uh, here comes help. And I'm like, this is, I need the help. So I start looking, and I see his track exit. But now he's on a plowed driveway, and he's not leaving any tracks. So right. I go bang in the guy's door, wake him up. I am sweating profusely. I'm down to a T-shirt, and he is big. He's like, you need a glass of water? I'm like, oh, I'd love one. <laughs> so old Mr. Hand yes. gives me a glass of water, and, and, and he gets a little. He's like, well, you think he's out here? I said, yeah, I think he is. I got to find him. And here comes Aaron Gibson, the local cop, and he yells over the radio, I got foot tracks on the other side of this state highway. So I run up. I am all excited. And sure enough, here's his foot track, and I look up in the woods, and there he is with his black and yellow jacket running up. It was deep snow. And <laughs> Gibson will laugh about it. I bailed over that snowbank like a beached whale Woo! over i went because i wanted him <laughs> i tumbled down the snowbank get up and sure enough we caught him on foot he was headed to the railroad tracks which led right back to his house right a huge loop mm-hmm. smart kid mm-hmm. he almost got me yeah he uh, almost did we tackled him and handcuffed him and mm-hmm. i remember saying i'm sweating so bad take my jacket off i said no i don't want you to get cold <laughs> 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 I zipped up his jacket and into the pd we brought him 
Yeah, that was, no doubt. And the whole time I'm oh. trying to find you and run into the same crew of snowmobiles and truck, and I'm taking names because <laughs> I, I know how this works. Yeah. I, everybody in proximity to this chase is I'm getting identified. So if we have to go back to do interviews, and if they're lying to us there, we're gonna we're gonna charge them for interference with a conservation officer because they're they're not giving them the information they need and such like that. Because that's that's a big one on a pursuit because. Yeah. Again, I'm just like you, Glenn. We don't like to lose. Oh, I hate to lose. Which reminds me of that pursuit that we had up in Pittsburgh that ended up oh, in yeah. Errol, which those guys wish they gave up their buddy really, really quick. Yeah. So, and you started that one, you and Bob. Me and Bob. And I, I just got to finish one thing with that other story. Yeah. He pled guilty. He went to jail. This kid mm-hmm. that ran from me 15 miles went to jail. We confiscated his sled and sold it. He forfeited it to the state. And, uh, yeah, he did time in jail for uh, seven months for that. So, that, to me, that was a reward. and Very rewardful. And, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, just to touch on again, you, the follow-up investigation is, is just as important and mm-hmm. I think just as fun as the initial chase. Right. You know, that's, that's where I think we pride ourselves as game wardens is doing a good job with not giving up. Right. You know, so. Yeah, and especially in those cases where they run, you, you know, you got to do your best to apprehend those people, whether it's then or later. Mm-hmm. And part of that is getting all the information. And, and I learned that, Glenn, believe me, that was developed through time, is to grab those people that are in proximity, get your names, get your first statements. Do you know who that is? No. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's a lie. And I said, and I, <laughs> and I tell them, I said, if you want, do you understand if you're lying to me now that this could come back and haunt you, you could be charged with a misdemeanor, make that very clear. Yep. And then in the end they know Yeah. And this it, is the game. And one of those kids you interviewed that night, I arrested mm-hmm. later because he lied and he knew who he was. And mm-hmm. I went to his house, tried to treat him like a gentleman. He didn't treat me like a gentleman. So he came out of his house in handcuffs and got charged with lying, mm-hmm. you know, interference. And, right. And that's what I think our department does really well is literally in our policies, we, we judge a pursuit by, by risk, risk, not yeah. speed, mm-hmm. which is really important. And that line, I'm going to misquote it a little bit, but each person's risk is judged differently. Mm-hmm. You know, your Absolutely. risk is different than mine on a snowmobile pursuit. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing that it says, which I, is so great for us, is, is that we don't want to enter into high risk or high speed to the point of endangering the public and all that. Right. But what it says is there's also a line we have to be careful not to cross one way or the other, whereas if we don't pursue, we promote people to run. Right. So we ha- they actually give us the tools and motivation to pursue to the point of, of safety. Right. And, it, and like you said, you fall- when they get caught, that spreads like wildfire. Mm-hmm. And then others are like, you know what? It ain't worth running from those guys because if they don't catch you that night, they're showing up the next morning. Right. So to me, the department does a really good job with – allowing us hey we're giving you the tools stay within the parameters but work hard at it right and having radios to communicate with other wardens in the area is essential especially on that this next one we're going to talk about because that the radios were the key and and i hear you hear that when i stop people you got radios you know i'm going to stop because i know you're going to call it in and then we're going to get caught so it's not going to be worth it it's just it's a simple ticket to be stopped and rather than a pursuit yeah but that one in pittsburgh was classic yeah this in it's calmed down a little bit, but we have uh, we call it reciprocity weekend, where um, Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire share a weekend where if you're registered and legal in one of the three states, you can ride in any of the other two. And this weekend, I'm pretty sure it was a February weekend. Mm-hmm. It might have been the same. It was a year later, maybe. 16, it's usually so. the end of January, just beginning. It's, so it's the last weekend in January, generally. So Bob Mancini and I are working Pittsburgh detail, which is an extra detail. Um and we had a lot of people in that area because I think there was probably the only snow and it was just for the normal, amount yeah. of people we had. I think you're right. Um, we had quite a few guys working the activity, mm-hmm. and Bob and I are working radar in Smithbrook, and 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 Bob uh, thankfully has come back. Yes, uh, so he left for a short stint and came back, which is which is a good asset for us. Mm. But um, we work really well together. I'm motivated, and he's motivated. And uh, we haven't had an Indian leg contest to find out who's more motivated, but together we make a fun team. So yes. we're running radar, and here comes this group of guys, and they're in their 50-mile-an-hour zones, and here comes this orange sled, pops out to the, well, we're looking at the right side, but he starts passing people on their left, 60, 70, 80 miles an hour. We got them on radar. We pull out to chase them. Uh, Bob went first because I was holding radar, and uh, immediately I recognize this, this guy don't want to stop. So 
Bob is this not Bob is not a good a rider as me, um, but he's definitely good. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to lose, and I see Bob drop back a little, which was smart because he didn't ride beyond his limits. Kudos to him. Yeah, I wanted to be that guy that could get him, so I stuck with him a little while. And just as you said, it hit me. I'm like, okay. I need to start the investigation because this is not a chase we're going to win. Right. This kid could ride. I'm going to let Bob stick with him, do the best mm-hmm. he can. I'm going to trans. I'm going to you know transfer to be an investigator. So the big group of guys he passed. Here they come, and I stop them because they were in their fifties. So technically, mm-hmm. legally, I could stop Absolutely. them and give them warnings mm-hmm. uh, or tickets if I really wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I stop them, and these two guys stopped at the front. And uh, we had a little discussion on who the front guy was. Oh, mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't know. We just, I don't know who that was. Oh, really? And uh, Yeah, we just met him and just yeah, jumped just in riding how today. Many, I mean, it's actually so sad, the excuse they come up with, because you're like. they're all the same. All the same. Come up with something different, and you know, I, might, <laughs> I might believe you. Um, and I'm just, I'm just uh, you know, I was a little heated, but, you know, not crossing a line. And I, I shared with them that I was not pleased, and I took their information, I wrote him written warnings for speed, and I said, if I find out that you knew this guy and you're lying, we will meet again, and I will I will arrest you. Oh, no, 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 no I, just, I understand. Okay, you have a good day. Mm-hmm. And uh, they took off, and at this time, it must have been before I stopped these guys. I jump on the radio and, and give out a blast to everyone. Hey, this is the sled. It was an orange crossfire, loud can, all orange. I think he had all black on but i don't remember the exact but i gave a mm-hmm. the best description i and could and i heard it yeah, yeah absolutely you did a great job and uh and i said mancini's still pursuing headed southbound of smith brook by tin camp you know blah blah, blah. so now the adrenaline's starting to come down a little bit and you're thinking okay what do we do next so i start riding south i meet up with bob he is beyond mad he cut the chase which mm-hmm. was smart yeah reciprocity weekend there's thousands no exaggeration thousands of sleds around mm-hmm. he probably passed more than a couple dozen in this pursuit, and he realized, too busy, not safe. Yep. Good work. I called it. Yeah, called absolutely. It. Um, <laughs> thankfully, what, 20 minutes later, after mm-hmm. Bob and I are stewing and waiting, Officer Matt Holmes and Bill Boudreaux come on the radio and say, hey, we just stopped to slip with that description, um, a stop and ID, and he told us that he was staying at Acres Pond Inn, I think. Right? Not Acres Pond Inn. Uh, there was a house that they had rented uh, next Eagles to Nest. it. Eagles Nest. Eagles there you go. Nest. Yep. And uh, I immediately started thinking, is he really dumb enough to give the information? The, give the correct one. <laughs> the correct location? <laughs> yeah. But that's what we do. Right. So you were the supervisor. You must have been LT then. Of course yeah, I was were. lieutenant. Yeah. So you got involved and you were the organizer. And it was just, it, I think that's the biggest part of the job, no matter snowmobile or hunting or fishing is. The drive that everyone has, and then someone steps in like yourself, the organization, and, okay, you have the experience. Glenn, you do this. You and Bob, okay. And I think you initially assigned me and Bob to do something else. Mm-hmm. And I was like, come on, you got to let me go. To, and you're like, okay, you go there. Matt, you do the – and you guess you came in with that level head, calmed us down for starters, and uh, we divided and conquered, man. We did. Oh, it was – We did. We were to the point where we were going to lock the place down for a search warrant. Yeah, yeah. So um, we went – we rode, Bob and I rode there, I think with Billy and Matt. Mm-hmm. You went with a cruiser. I did, yeah. Called Eric Fluette mm-hmm. and said, come with a trailer. And and our eggs weren't in the basket, but we were ready for we anything. We were ready, absolutely. You know, and uh, sure enough, Eric, I mean, uh, Bob and I show up at this camp and under the porch with a cover on it, in plain view, when we pull up, I can see the orange skis. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, there it is. Um, and you can see it's warm. The cover was frosty, and there's steam coming off it. We knock on the door, and of course, no one answers. Now it's getting dark. Mm-hmm. We, start, we call Trooper comes in. What truck's in the yard but a lettered <laughs> business truck with the last name of the one of the two guys that says, oh, we don't know who that guy is. Mm-hmm. Like, isn't that convenient? Group guys show up. And this right. is where you, were, you, were, you probably have a little more to add with you know, the guys showing up. and someone Was someone interviewing someone in the house? And yes. drugs came in? I don't yep. remember all that. Yep, actually, we were invited into the house, and yes. uh, plain view is laying on the table is some marijuana. <laughs> so Bob actually was uh, the, the initial officer on that. He was You're like, right. um, yeah, uh, we, we got a problem here again. Yeah. We got the problem we're talking about, and now the problem on the table here. 
So, and, and we're, we're to the point, we're going to lock this down, you know, it was plain view, he was invited into the house to have a discussion, and we're definitely, we're going to probably lock this down if we don't get cooperation from him, and then those other guys roll in, yeah. the, the ones that we, you guys met, met on the trail that didn't know. Oh, yeah, actually, so the, the big group of guys, they didn't come in yet because we had already left, because remember they called us, so a trooper and I, I couldn't remember in the house stuff, trooper and I jump in the cruiser to start looking for this guy mm-hmm. on foot, our initial guy in the orange sled. Sure enough, I'm in the passenger seat, and we look just up the road as that storage unit's in Errol. We're in Errol, and this kid's walking. It's like five below zero at yeah. six, seven at night. It's dark out. And the trooper's like- In one it? of the most remote oh. towns yeah. in the state of New Hampshire. Yeah, no police department. There is. It, it's yeah. a one town. Yeah. yeah. The, the, this isn't a very common thing for anybody no. to be walking after dark. Yeah. So we stop the cruiser, and the kid starts running. Uh I think detectives call that a clue. So mm-hmm. we, we turn the cruiser around. The, he's now running down the yellow line of a state road in, like you said, a town where not much happens. There's no cars yeah. except for us. And if he steps over the bank, he's in three, four feet of snow. Yeah, so he's running. So the, tro- the trooper pulls up beside him. He's still running. We bail out. We're chasing him down the middle of the road, yelling and screaming at him, and he's still running until the trooper yells, stop or you will be tased. The kid went down to his knees on his belly and said, I'm all set. We went up and handcuffed him. Sure enough, it was him. And uh, we took the sled. We arrested the kid for the marijuana, and we went to the PD. Mm-hmm. Celebratory. Everybody's excited. We got him. And th- and when we left, I remember giving, someone gave him business. When those two show up, because we know they're here, yep. have them call us. So sure enough, we were at the PD. Guess who calls those two? And I said, why don't you come down to the PD tonight? All right, we'll be there. They walk in, and I am so thrilled that we, not only did we get the runner, but we got the guy that I promised we'd arrest. Exactly. And before I could get it out of my mouth, and I said, I told you, and I easy goes, I know, I know, we know, we know. That's why we're here. You told us we, you'd arrest us. Sure enough, we charged them all. Oh, it was, it was just, it was so much fun and rewarding that it was good hard work. We made sound decisions. Yeah. You know, we, we never crossed a line, and they learned a lesson. We learned some lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it showed them, and <laughs> he came to court two days later and paid everything yeah he wanted he actually borrowed his buddy's sled that was one of the motivators it wasn't even his own <laughs> we sled we took <laughs> and that's why we do what we do and that and that's why we do it yeah. to that oh. extent so thanks again for listening and stay tuned for the next podcast episode 28 in two weeks where we're going to conclude sergeant glenn lucas snowmobiles Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from Game Wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, a mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more.